0: This is Lead with a Question.
1: When you are in a a creative process with, with somebody, you do have to like, you have to check in a little bit. And it's something that you forget. And you don't ever think you'd need to ask, but it's like you just have to um, go back to the first step and be like, does everybody kind of understand where we're at?
0: Hi, I'm Rob Callan. We live in a time when people are seeing that the old way of doing business is broken and that leading into the future requires something new, a deeper focus on humanity. The courage to let go of power and ego. A desire to nurture the conditions for co-creation. And the bravery not to have all the answers. On this show, I, along with my friends Chris Deaver and Ian Claussen, connect with guests who embody these principles. And whether household names or not, they've shattered the status quo, often as misfits, to shape the future with others and achieve miraculous things in work and life. Today, we sample some of the friction involved in creativity. If you lead a creative team or are even a member of that team, you've likely experienced the pain of trying to shepherd something from ideation all the way to delivery. The process is full of tension, meetings, group decisions, deadlines, and sometimes damaged relationships. Our guest today helps us consider this question. How can people co-create even when it's messy and hard? A conversation with artist Dave Arcade on this episode of Lead with a Question.
1: Dave Arcade. I am a freelance illustrator. I was an art director for 10 years in the world of advertising. I, I went to school for graphic design, but um, three months into it, YNR Irvine uh, gave me a call and I went up there and I was like, why, why is this ad agency like hitting me up? I'm, I'm a graphic designer, you know? And uh, they, they got uh, hold of my, a, a leave behind that I had made. Um, when I graduated school and there's an illustration in there, and the the CD, the Crave director, Craig Evans, was like this, like I want art directors who can do this. I want I'm tired of hiring this stuff out. We need we need Swiss Army Knife type art directors going into the the Facebook era. Um and so he came up with Facebook, Craig Evans did. No, um, <laughs> and uh I was making $38,000 a year at this design studio in Seal Beach and then Craig was like, "You know what? What about 60 65?" I was like, "Yeah, I'll switch careers right now." Like right then and there I was like, "Sure, I'll take it." Mm-hmm. And so, uh, art direction is not design. It's worse. And, and it's better and worse, but ab- advertising is definitely worse. And so I did that for ten years, but I learned it really informed what I do now. Um, I, I would always have these really um, mm. elaborate ideas. A lot of the times, I was like, "Let's let's make a bunch of miniature molds, and like we'll make like a little like Mister Rogers neighborhood, but like on the moon, and you know, which would be rad, yeah." But Nobody wanted to, to do that. And and I wasn't very good at uh, meeting the client's needs. They're like, we don't need that. We, we just need you to show the candy bar. So I got a, a call from an uh, ad agency in UT. Are you familiar with Struck, Rob? You went to. I'm not. To be, okay. Uh, they're a pretty good ad agency here in Utah. Um, anyway, I went there, was there for about six years, and I, I met a guy named Brent Watts, who Ian's heard plenty about kind of a, a mentor of mine um, pulled, pulled my head away from advertising and like aimed it right at right illustration, gave me a lot of cool jobs where I was able to do murals for, for the uh, clients. I have like 11 walls in the new Nickelodeon building for no reason. Like they totally should have hired that stuff out, but like Craig sure Evans, he's like, let's keep it in house. And so uh, that gave me a, uh, a body of work, uh, bring this around town. Um, as SpongeBob would say, uh, the, the art direction really helped out in all those ideas of can because it's like, well, now when you're looking at, uh, my pieces, I, I set it up the way an art director would set it up. Like I, first I choose what I'm going to draw and then, I, I get to choose everything that's going to be in there. And then I kind of arrange it like if they were little models and I could just place them. And I and I love that about my pieces. So, yeah, that's what I do. Clean lines and color. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other part of your question that you asked 47 minutes ago, um, what's going on with me right now? I just uh, wrapped a piece for Bitpanda, which is like Coinbase, but in Europe, I think. Mm. Um, and I was working on a job for Google in the MBA.
0: Mm. And you mentioned some of the, the challenges with working in advertising. It, was it that you felt kind of constrained by the parameters or or what was challenging about it for you? Too many
1: cooks in the kitchen. Mm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It, it's,
1: it's really tough because you you have a partner in advertising if you're an art director you have a copywriter partner and vice versa and you sit in a room and you come up with a ton of ideas and they're all gonna be bad according to the creative director which is just painful in and of itself but it, you really exercise your your idea muscles um, and it, it soon it just becomes second nature to crank out ideas um, but the first pain point is is the typically the product so we had to navigate that um and then you you know you present to the creative director uh, an idea goes through but then you have the executive creative director who we called the seagull because he shit on everything um so you have to present to the seagull and then once the seagull would sort of like rearrange the DNA into this monstrosity, you have to go make it. And this can take months.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, then you have to make it and then you have to like act excited, uh, pitching to directors, mm-hmm. and everybody wants to change the idea. Um, so it's it's really tough if you want to make good work. Uh yeah, there's a ton of pain points, man. Yeah. Tons of throwing people under the bus. People got murdered every day.
0: Wow, that's rough. Um now yeah. did you ever get to a point where you kind of knew it was time for you to move on from that space? And if so, what was your stepping off
1: point? Well, I, I I got out of uh YNR Irvine uh because I was on Southwest, Southwest Airlines Rapid Rewards. And uh that was just a really, really painful account. Um so that's when I called up Struck. And I was like, wow, these guys are different. Like they are a design studio slash agency. Um, it looks like they value art. So, I mean, that really was the departure from advertising. Uh, even though I did advertising when I got to Struck, it really allowed me to kind of uh, explore my roots and so, still the same kind of pain points, but it was less so, and I was able mm-hmm. to do art and, and meet some really cool people. Mm. Well, I was, but you know, I was forced that, like I was laid off. I would not have started Dave Arcade on my own; mm-hmm. it would it would have been too scary.
0: And I think a couple of us have layoff experiences in our in our history. Um, you know, being on the receiving end. And, um, it, it, if it was anything like mine, I mean, I'm assuming that there were some feelings for sure that you kind of had yeah. to work through. Could you tell us a little bit more about those feelings and then maybe how did you use that experience to, you know, point you in another direction?
1: That's a, it's a good question. Um, my, my, uh, I, I like podcasts where like, uh, People are honest. And so I don't mind using my friend's name here um, because I can still call him a friend. But um, a lot of my anger was aimed at the CEO at the time was Matt Anderson. Um, And I've never been more angry at a person. Mm. Um, You know how they say you can't hate somebody until you've loved them. Uh, Matt was like a big brother to me. Uh, And so I felt betrayed, especially by him.
3: So how, how was it delivered Dave? Like over the phone? Really? I yeah. was, I was imagining in person, but that's probably even harder.
1: Yeah. Uh, the thing that sucked is Matt flew down every week for years, but I, I don't think he could have done it in person because he's a sweet guy yeah. and you probably would have had, you probably would have cried honestly. Um, so
3: that was a layer he placed in between having to face you. a little bit of a filter so you can see him.
1: Yeah. All the the blood rushed out of my face. When you get laid off, the blood rushes out of your face, your ears, the backs of your ears burn and you can't feel your feet. Um, And so, yeah, so that happened. I let that anger burn me up like it. They talk about uh, hate, like burning you up inside. I got to the point where I I was like, if I if I go down to struck. I kind of want to. And if I saw Matt, I was being, these were honest conversations just with myself. I'm not saying this to sound cool. Um, No, it's not cool. It's a jerk thing I'm about to say. Um, I kind of wanted to go down there because I know if I saw him, I would have punched him. And I was like, that's what I want. I want to, I want to knock that guy out. Like that's how mad I am. So I'm talking to his brother-in-law, Kyle Snarr one day, who's a great guy. Um, And this was like month three of just, Fury, and uh and kyle said dude just frankly forgive him and i was like what it's like just frankly forgive him and i was like but everything he's done he's like it doesn't matter has he freaking tied you up to the mast of a ship has he tried to kill you it's like oh, no i mean yes yes he did actually no and so i thought about that and uh And I just, I took his advice and it was as simple as that. I just took his his advice and I was like, I don't want to be mad at him anymore. So I called him up and he was on a desert highway in uh, the the middle of Nevada at night. And I'm like, Hey man, it's, it's Dave. Um, He's like, Oh, oh, Hey, Hey man, what's up? And uh, I was like, I forgive you. And he started to cry. Because he had heard that I wanted to beat the hell out of him, and you know that puts the fear in anybody. I mean, look at these these guns. Um, <laughs> No, he just you know word gets around. I talked to his, his brother in law, and uh, and we had a really good conversation. And that was that was my first lesson in forgiveness. I've been forgiven, but I've never been in a uh, a place where i had to forgive um to that level and uh powerful man yeah we, we live in a tough time where where um people think that forgiveness is weakness and it actually takes far more strength than anything you'll ever have to muster
2: mm-hmm. and uh, uh, i forgive you all the time dave so <laughs> screw you chris you
1: know what man no.
2: uh,
1: um and uh and yeah so that was I mean you want to talk about turning pain into power like forgive somebody wow if you if you want to become more powerful than you could ever possibly imagine after you cut my head off with a lightsaber like forgive somebody and it takes all that fire like out of the tissue of your innards and puts it into a freaking battery that you can then take and use however you want it's an enormous amount of energy um, to to redirect, hmm. and if you don't do that, it, it's just, it's like Chernobyl. It's just the containment unit just <laughs> blowing energy everywhere, and like, "We got to go shut that down somehow." So, Dave,
3: you know, like my question to you would be, what would life be like now if you hadn't made that phone call to your ex CEO to forgive him? <laughs> if you come on to you know, that anger and and you remain bitter. What would life be like right now? If you could imagine that
1: reduced smaller, because I, I got to work after I forgave Matt, like, you know, like in Rocky movies, when, uh, the train right before the training sequence, there's always something hard. He's dealing with him and Adrian are yelling at each other in the ocean in a yellow tank top. (laughs) Um, I just watched Rocky, Rocky 3 the 3. other day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's funny when you rewatch movies that you haven't seen in like 30 years and you totally recognize the, um, how, how would you describe it? The, the tone and shape of the dialogue. But when you're a kid, you don't understand what they were talking about. Right. And in that scene, I was like, oh, Rocky's afraid. He's like, I'm scared. All right. She's like, everybody's afraid. And he's like, yeah, not oh. me, though. I'm Rocky. Um, but then she talked some sense into him. And and I felt like that was, you know, after Kyle talked, me and Kyle were standing in the ocean. He had just beat yeah. me in a foot race on the sand. Um, and uh, after he talked some sense into me, yeah, I got to work. Like I was, my job was being mad at Matt. So yeah, you I mean, it would have, it would have been, I, eventually it probably just would have uh, scarred over. But I still, I, I hate to think I'd be this guy, but I think this is how guys like this are made where they um, maybe have some success after something devastating like that, um, but they never quite get over it and they talk about it to everybody, you know, and if something goes wrong, it's like, well, you know, it's going to be freaking happening if Matt and my wife would be like, you're still bringing them up? Like it could have, it could have been really ugly and I, I might not have. I might not be who I am right now. You know, it's, I've never thought about that, Ian, that. You know, it's a good question, man. Hmm.
0: So you moved past that experience. It sounds like it was a very healing sort of cathartic experience for you. Definitely. Tell me about jumping fully into freelance work and how that has been for you.
1: Yeah, um, I have some, some really good friends, and I didn't know this until I went freelance, and about a month in, the people from YR, one of my bosses, um, Susie Lim, who was one of the creative directors there, and Eric Kawaguchi, uh, a writer there, hired me to do a mural for their new space for 15,000 bucks, and I was like, okay, that's the, that's the kind of money I need if I'm going to make this thing happen. And I remember um, getting off the phone and and finding my wife just like Rachel, like because our house is huge because we're so rich. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, it's just one of those things where you can't find your wife fast enough. Yeah, yeah. you have a ring on every door. <laughs>
0: yeah, and yeah, <I'd> finger. Um, <laughs>
1: Wait, a ring on every door? <laughs> oh, Inside the house. Yeah, like the video
3: camera <laughs> the doorbell. I was that. like imagining a giant <laughs> wedding ring on the
1: doorknobs. I was like, that's <laughs> so weird, dude. Um, Uh. So yeah, I couldn't find her fast enough because uh, – and I was like, hey, I think this is possible. You know, when like you're way off on a trip somewhere in your head and then you just start talking. Like, what's possible? Like – this freelance thing, like, and she's she's like, why, why do you say that? like, cause I just got hired for a job for
0: 15,000 bucks. And she's like,
1: no way. That was like a month in and that, um, ha- hasn't stopped. They're not all, um, for, for that much money, but man, like my friends, uh, over the past four, I don't know if I've been doing this almost five years, I uh, have really supported me and, and they're not just, uh, doing it to, pander. Like got a charity. Like I was really surprised, like, no, Dave, stupid, idiot. We actually like what you do. So start off good, start off good, start with friends, and uh, uh, it's got its ups and downs. I love not uh, having to go into the office. It's tough being alone. I, I miss people. I miss laughing. You don't realize how much laughter you miss when you're by yourself that's a huge thing. Um, Tosh Brown was a guy I worked with this truck, the funniest person I've ever met. And part of the pain of getting laid off was that I couldn't see him every day anymore. Yeah. So it's like laughter. If laughter was a freaking commodity, like it, the market crashed, you know, when I got laid off. And um, so that's tough, but all in all, like I, pr- I prefer it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not the easiest person person to work with. Ian can attest to that. Amen.
0: <laughs> yeah. And just to kind of riff on the sort of comparison of your, your past and your present. Um, if you hadn't gone th- through some of those challenging experiences doing agency work and advertising, what do you think your perception of your current work would be?
1: Man, that's a great question. Um <sighs> It would be bad. Like it, it uh, I, I talked about the idea muscle having to exercise that. You gotta be around um, failure, and you gotta be around people who will poke, poke holes in your ideas, and you have to be around people who are really good at coming up with ideas and who make great things. Um, and you gotta be around great designers and great writers and really um and work with with different disciplines directors and photographers like you don't have to but if you do this you really start to get a picture of what a person can make and who's good at it and who isn't and and i just i can't imagine uh that i'd be making anything that anybody would care about if i didn't have that that background
2: yeah so that's it that's really fascinating right because like a lot of times in the art world uh you have the kind of lonely uh master right uh slash in your case you know the the jedi level uh you know and and a person and right the challenge of like if you create something that is truly unique and it also the requirements of that are this kind of open at least uh, a stage or a phase of where it's raw enough and there's there's some shaping happening with those 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 people, not the seagulls, but with right <laughs> the people that right are going to weigh in, and it's going to be a, a, a helpful co-creative process. Like, what what um what have you found that like has helped with you know I guess being open you know to that.
1: Yeah, it is It is hard because um, you definitely want to do what you want to do. It's ego. Yeah, it is. It's really interesting when you actually listen with the intent to understand what somebody is explaining to you. Um, when somebody has an idea and you have an idea, you've all been through this. They start to explain it and you will um, just put it in the most brutal light with no color, and just a pinhole receptor filter. You, you you assign it the worst parameters to get through to you. And you can't do that. You have to fully embrace what they're saying. Um, and then you don't feel bad when you're like, dude, I totally understand what you're saying. It is a stupid idea.
2: <laughs> like we... <laughs> But you, you know? looked at it from every angle at that point, or at least enough yeah. Yeah, context. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, so once once I got there, when I was like, it's not fair to to not um, listen to it because you're not always going to have the best ideas. In fact, if you always have the best ideas, then that means you're you're wrong. So, I like the co-creative process. I think it's fun. To take a client's ideas, and I'll require this of them, if, especially if they want a lot of stuff, because I put a lot of stuff in my my pieces. I'll be like, "Okay, tell me about your product or your if it's a mural, like your company culture." Um, this is the uh, this is where I I the last thing I want to do is turn off, and I'm like, just bring it because I think it's so fun to take those ideas and then make something that surprises. And like delights them,
2: you know. That's awesome. Yeah, because I think about like like this. I mean, it, what it feeds into the the co creative process and how how it happens. Right. It's like there's a sense of both a strength of a position or a perspective, and it. But then there's also that that open sense of what could happen. Um, you know, at Apple we they talk we talk about um, Steve Jobs. It wasn't just listen to understand. It was he would listen and be open to changing his mind. Right. And it was almost like, Hey, was yeah. it wasn't. And so he'd take a position, he, even when he took a position early on in a meeting, it was like, Hey, it's, it's, it's his point of view, but then he could almost, he could 180. If somebody else had a you know, totally opposite point of view and they went at it really hard. And so it was, and then he would just go with that. And they're like, well, you were saying earlier on, cause most leaders would say, no, I, I, you know, I'm the leader. Right. So, um, and so it's almost like, like it wasn't a, it wasn't a straw man either. Like he actually really believed his initial position. Um, so it was like yeah. made more of a brick man, right? It was like, <laughs> it was a brick building, but he was giving them, you know the demolition equipment to say, Hey, if you, if you can like, you know, knock it out, like, cool. Like, and if you want to build, if you build something a better building, okay, well that's better now. Right. And everybody's like, wow, we just created something, you know, um, and then, of course, there's like a combined version of those, which I think you're more describing, which is like, hey, you're taking these Lego blocks and you're building something right. uh, that yeah. is even better. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That That's a a really rare mindset. Right. I think I, I've come to believe that the thing people are most afraid of is, is not is not hard work, but a lot, a lot of really hard work.
0: Hmm. I think you know Dave, you're in a unique position in that among our guests um you're you're one of the few ones who's actually had you know a little bit more um, project experience with us so um <laughs> tell me a little bit more about how you met Ian and some of your past history in in co-creating together. Well, Ian
1: didn't want to be my friend. We we were in Huntington Beach in the early two thousands, and there was an apartment complex, the Morikai Apartments, and uh, um, everybody um, in our church uh, lived there who had little kids. It just you went to the Morikai, and uh, so I was the, I was there already. Ian shows up so I'm like oh hey I'm Dave and like I'm Ian and I could just you were like hey what like whatever kind of attitude but we got talking and like I make music I was like I make music but he didn't he didn't care he like no matter what we had in common for like a, a few weeks it just seemed like Ian wasn't interested I was like what's up with this guy I can't remember like what clicked but yeah so we started writing songs and we I mean we have a bunch of finished unfinished tracks. That's kind of like how it, how it started. Um, but Ian really wanted to like finish an album. It's like, okay, this is what we need to do now. For some reason, when Ian wants to finish something, I automatically don't want to finish it. Well, you know what? That's just making me sound like an idiot and a jerk. Um, since, since Ian is so focused and he's actually like a really good, project manager he just kind of takes that role um it would make me think well what am i doing right now like uh project wise like i've got other stuff do. ian's making this a priority because he's he's no joke right like um okay you know by this date we gotta have this done this we have got to so it would make me think on that level well dude i actually have a day job and i gotta i'm working on tv spot i can't kind of commit to this right now. Um, but being uh, who I was back then.
3: And I never saw that back then. Well,
1: and I wouldn't communicate it either. I would try to have my cake and eat it too. In in retrospect, like we, we got way more done than we thought, but we, we looked at right. our musical collaboration as kind of a failure because we never made it now, but yet we have like,
0: I mean, 80 I mean, tracks
1: we, or something. Dude, we worked on, we used to call every song before it had a name, uh, Sword. So. Sword 1, Sword 2, Sword 3, and tell us that it got a name. And we wrote some some good tracks. Um, do you want to talk about Spaceland, Ian?
3: Sure. Yeah. Um, so this, this um, series of, of drawings and illustrations that Dave had at the time, I think gave birth to the idea that, hey, what if there was these strange artifacts that just kind of culminated out in the universe and there was a group of characters that could go, and, and, and collect these things. Like what, what type of adventures, what type of stories would that be? So the writer and me, you know, started to dream up all these episode ideas. And of course, Dave has this killer art style, but yeah, I think um, our original idea was this uh, traveling carnival, right. That would kind of go and set up camp on different um, planets and, and they'd get swept in these adventures. It turned into uh, a crew of junk, uh, runners that would collect yeah. junk out in the universe. Right. And so anyways, uh, long story short, we gave birth to this idea called Spaceland, where I think it took us like a two to three year period to, to go from napkin sketch concepts to what it became as a pitch deck. And. Yeah.
1: Fully ready for Nickelodeon or any, but like Cartoon Network.
3: What, what Dave was describing about me as a project manager was his experience with me during those three years. It was like painful for him, but we learned a lot of like incredible things during the process. One of which, you know, I've always had white collar jobs where I'm in sales, I'm in marketing, I'm in healthcare, you know, and, and those have their own challenges And I've enjoyed my growth and just kind of successes that I've had in those fields. But I've always had this creative side to me that has been unfulfilled. And one of those things that like perhaps back then Dave and I never could fully understand was the fact that he did creative work for his day job. So by the time he's done he was depleted from brainstorming and ideation. And and the last thing he wanted to do was come home and draw stuff that we're dreaming up. Right. Yeah. So we had to really come to terms with that over the years, but my project management style just kept, kept the drive going. I I think we have about 12 episodes written in the archives, a full art deck laid out. You know, we were at a point where we were ready to pitch and we were one click away from the CEO of Nickelodeon at the time.
1: That's actually what sparked it. Like like Brent, real quick, uh, Brent Watts guy I brought up earlier was best friends with um, Russell Hicks, who was the president of Nickelodeon, who I've pitched ideas to. And Brent just came up to me one day and was like, I want you to come up with a cartoon idea and we'll go pitch it to Russell. first person I called was Ian and that's what sparked this whole thing. So we could have gotten in the room.
3: Yeah. And you know, think about it, all the other creators out there, you know, they go through the cold call process of trying to connect with people. And there's a filtration process to like go up the chain to get approval, uh, or even to get in the room with the right people. And so we had this golden opportunity. And of course it it was pressing on, on, on my mind to like see this through. And of course, um, Co-creation is hard, right? Uh-huh. You know, there's a lot of things from back in that era that, you know, I think have led me in the work I'm doing with Chris to reach the point it's at. Because, you know, it got to a point where we have this fully baked TV series minus a pilot, you know, being captured that is is fully articulated from front to finish as far as yeah. a playground for creative people. If we, if we had some writers and artists assigned to this project with us, we actually established a formula on how to create each episode in the yeah. world. We, we created the parameters of this
1: creative world well, together. Ian did. Ian's brilliant at these systems, by the way, these writing systems. And uh, you're weird about compliments. Cause I can, I can throw you like the, the best compliment and you'll just take it like this. You'll be like, but Ian's top five, one of the most creative people I've ever met. Like his brain is nutty. That's huge coming from you, Dave. See That's how huge. he is.
3: He just doesn't even care. Well, cause I, I admire Dave's work, right? Like I, for so long, like Dave was my creative outlet, you know, like I'm so drawn to his art style and just his creative genius. I mean, he'll take these random concepts that are abstract and then he just just glosses over it with all this '80s nostalgia sometimes, which is like the perfect marriage, and and it's quite humorous his work. And so I love witty humor, dry sense of humor. And when I see a piece that Dave has concocted, I'll look at these little elements that most people won't look at, and I'll be like, "Oh yeah, Dave yeah. nailed."
1: It. You see the you know? little things that that I want people to see,
3: Dave. I think you need to close the chapter on the spaceland storyline.
1: Yes. So you have to understand this from Ian's point of view and my point of view. Ian's in this this incredibly tough job. Like not a lot of people can can do that job. You got to have some um serious grit. P- pays really well, but yeah it's a tough job and so like i knew i was like man and this could get him out of that world and he needs to be doing something creative like it's like uh babe ruth you know accidentally starts a a dishwashing business you know it's like no no, you need to be freaking hitting baseballs man so um a dishwashing business that's not even a thing starting a (laughs) dishwashing business guys um just bring your dishes to my house. <laughs> then pick um, them
3: up later. And <laughs> yeah, just pick them up later.
1: <laughs> 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 um, it's so, so convenient. <laughs> so, yeah. So Ian is like pushing for this because it can change his life, it change both our lives. Um, I always told Ian, and this is true, <laughs> just so you know, some context. I happened to be at a job where I was – going to Nickelodeon to work on this uh, uh, video series for their new website where me and my, uh, well, he was my partner, but he was also an art director, um, uh, would interview the creators of the shows. And so, like, front row seat to, I mean, I met Steven Hillenburg, interviewed him, like, that, I mean, nobody interviewed that guy. I don't know how the crap we got an interview with him in Nickelodeon. He hadn't been back to the building for years because they had such a falling out. Uh, um, it's sort of like how freaking Chris and Ian just like, Oh yeah, we met with that cat. Well, it's like, what, how it's like, Oh, we just did it. Kind of one of those situations, never compared those two things, but they're similar. Um, it was anyway, so, so we're doing this interview series with all the creators and I'm realizing their lives suck. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm like, well, maybe this isn't the life I want. I remember flying home from Burbank after the last interview at night and I was thinking about my life in Utah, which was fairly new. I just had a a new son and I was thinking about our life and how good it felt. And I started to cry because I was like, I don't want to move to Burbank and make cartoons for these guys. But that was way later on. The thing that held me up that I hadn't learned at that point was I was, I was afraid, I was afraid of failing. And then all of this hard work is down the drain. And this, this thing I want to do so badly, if I can't do this, then, then I can't do anything. It's before Dave, our It's before I believed in myself. It's before I realized, um, that, Ed Catmull school of failure is the only option. Um, and I, so it was so precious at that point that it was toxic, right? Like it can't be like put in the past and it can't be pitched. It's just, it's taken on a life of its own. It's like it grew and then it took over my mind and it's like, I now control you. You know, it's one of those, those things. That's why you don't get attached to ideas. idea. So I was scared. Ian had nothing to lose and everything to gain. Um, and so he's like, let's just do it, man. Um, I was so ready to it,
3: pitch to everybody. I didn't yeah. care who rejected it. Yeah.
1: I've never told you this part. Like it's, it's, uh, the, the other thing I said is true, but at the end, end, end of the day, elevator pitch on why I couldn't go through to it. i was just scared. Simple, simple as that, man. I was just scared that Spaceland was going to get rejected and therefore I and you, it everything we worked for. Yeah. And I couldn't, it's George McFly. It's like, I don't know if I can live with that sort of rejection. So let me take it from here.
3: Uh, and thanks for, you know, being brutally honest about, about that time frame. Right. It's like, you know, here I am at the cusp of, you know, pitching to Nickelodeon and Dave goes dark. Like he doesn't even communicate to me. He's like avoiding me. And then, you know, after a number of weeks and months go by and I'm trying to, Be that you know, hammer with the nail. Um, I just had to stop swinging the hammer, and I'm like, okay, something's up. And we had some interaction then, but it wasn't the full scope of what's being expressed today. And it was really tough. I mean, you know, like failure, in my opinion, is when you stop. Yeah, trying definitely. And I didn't want to stop trying (laughs) at that moment. And but in hindsight, like. I look at that whole experience and in the messy middle of trying to co-create was basically all of that because communication is tied into that. Right. It's like uh, in a, in an awareness, right. That isn't easy to discern in the moment. So, you know, a lot of things that I learned since then propelled me to meet Chris. Um, but, I had a choice too. Like I could, I was angry at the, at the moment, right? Like I could have stayed bitter. And
1: you remember the uh, email you sent me? Yeah. yeah. Dude, He let me freaking have it. He wasn't yelling at me. He's just honest. I learned a lot from that email. Same here. I had
3: to, I had to write it. Right. So, but it's um, it's talk about turning pain into power. Right. You know, I think when when we have expectations for how we want our life to go or our career to go or success to go, it's such a gap to get there. And when you take strides to fill in that gap and you get so close, you taste the edge of, of that success. Um, that's where pain really hits you hard. Uh, sadness, anger, right? And so, you know, you can let it destroy you or you can you know learn the lessons from those situations and and move on and be better right so you know i i really appreciate you dave like all of those experiences and you know i i still i still think we can do something with space <sighs> land one day so yeah i'm not down on it at all yeah
1: like we had to we gained we we lost at the time space land but we gained a chris um and and it's it's weird. Sometimes it's just not the right time. You have to tear something apart so you can put it back together later. Funny enough, the th- one of the main things I learned was communication. Like I remember Ian being like, OK, uh, you need to communicate with me. I'm like, "Nah, I don't. It's fine. You're like, Dude, listen, me talking about me. I need that. And I was like, oh, oh, you need like. Yeah, like you need that. Um, I don't need that. And it was a new idea to me that people have you know, different needs. Cracking the code of
3: co-creation is no easy
1: task. In fact, yeah. you know, Dave,
3: years ago was part of some some of the threads that Chris and I had when we were trying to ideate some of the early material for BraveCore. Um, what was that process like for you, Dave? Because we, we experienced it from our end where it was exhilarating, but then there were moments where it was like, you're like, dude, take me off this thread.
1: <laughs> I, for the most part, I loved it. I, I love those conversations. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. Like, I learned a part of the process that I, I of the co creative process that I didn't know existed, which is um, you can feel left out, and those who are leaving you out don't. Know it, and so how do you let them know to let you in? I would sit on these threads, and and I, it was on a call actually, where your guys' shorthand, um, is so so tight, and and you're so deep into the material that you guys started to talk in abstract concepts. But you totally both knew what we were talking about. And I just need some information so I know what to draw. And you guys were almost like a person who's like, well, yeah, but the shoelaces, if I get those, then the pizza won't be done. Keith Hernandez will be late. And then Jupiter will turn blue, right? It's like, <laughs> I was like what the hell are you guys talking about? Yeah, like, we're, and nodding, kind of, and we're
2: nodding and understanding it. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, but yeah. you're, yeah. you're,
1: you're and, and the texts were kind of like that. but. Uh, the texts were cool because you had to explain what you're saying, and it was really neat to see some of the nuts and bolts of, of and, and ideas of like current, these kernel ideas like turn into these fully fleshed out systems and thoughts. But when you are in a, a creative process with with somebody, you do have to like you have to check in a little bit, and it's something that you forget. <laughs> And you don't ever think you would need to ask, but it's like, you just have to um, go back to the first step and be like, does everybody kind of understand where we're at?
2: Yeah. The interesting thing I think we were doing, so Ian and I had this kind of co-creative process. We were shaped around the principles, right? The patterns themselves of brave core, right. As a thing, or as, as a ecosystem or an experience, right. In life. And, and then, and yet, and we, we're having this, other this co-creative conversation with you about how do we visually express this stuff? Mm, and yeah. these things are colliding, right? And so <laughs> it's like this messy, messiness, right? Pure chaos. I was getting so mad at you guys. Yeah. And, 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 and Dave's like flying around, you seeing debris everywhere. And it's like, I'm going to die if I don't figure this out. I mean, I, I appreciate it. it's like, Hey, hit the brakes. Like it was a few times, like, or like, Hey, just stop it. Right. Like, let's, let's have a conversation because I have no idea what you guys are actually talking about right now. Yeah, And like we had one and you, it, you, called it out. It was like, okay, so these patterns, <laughs> right? The mirror test makes sense to me. The hero sacrifice makes sense. Be- what was at the time become the book, which mm-hmm. to us made sense. It was like, Hey, you be, you embody your principles and then you are become, something that people see and understand like a book, right? But you're like, it doesn't make sense if you just read that, right? If it's on paper and for us to have to wrestle with that, you know, not late in the game, but at least realizing like, gosh, like, yeah, we don't want anybody confused, right? So if, if we're already one guy in who's, who's a creative, <laughs> who's pretty open to, you know, shaping. the air, you know, like he doesn't see it. You're like, oh, well. red flag. Yeah. And that was when Ian. It was like, hey, we got to pivot. We got to shift. Right. It's like, okay, become the future. Ah, yes. And then, and of course, then Dave, you you click for you, and it's like, hey, boom, Delorean, right, and all that. You know, kind of visually, which was a cool moment, right? It's just like this explosion yeah. of, you know, going from a little bit, you know, frustration that valley, but then top of the mountain, the crowds are cheering. They're going wild. You know,
1: and and the Mechanics there, what you're talking about, Chris, were neat from my perspective because we were just talking about how Ian and I went through a time where we couldn't even freaking communicate to now we are like moving ob- objects like giant stones with our hands, with our eyes closed because we got to a point where I was able to tell you, I don't get it. And then you guys were able to say, we're not sure if we do either. And we're, and we're making you aware of that and we're working on it, and it's just, I know that doesn't sound like a hard place to get to, but it is. It is. And we got there, and we were able to talk through what we didn't know live until we knew it, and that is communication.
0: This episode of Lead with a Question was produced by me, Rob Callan, with support from my co-hosts and BraveCore founders, Chris Deaver and Ian Claussen. The music you heard was composed by Ian, as part of another project he's involved in called Moon Machine. And special thanks to Dave Arcade for the conversation today, and especially for being willing to share that story about forgiveness. We really weren't expecting to go there during the conversation, but we are glad we did. And by the way, if you've enjoyed looking at our podcast cover art, you have Dave to thank. To get to know Dave and his work, you can head over to his website, DaveArcade.com. And if you want to learn more about the work we're doing at BraveCore, you can check out our website at BraveCore.co. The Lead with a Question podcast is a production of BraveCore, LLC. Thanks for being with us.